Alrighty, if you would please turn to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. I'll be reading Galatians 3, verses 19 through 22. Galatians 3, 19 through 22. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, eternal Word through the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father, I, I need Your help to do something very difficult and very simple. To say, as we heard from Nehemiah this morning, they explained the sense of the text. So help me explain, unfold the sense, the meaning that is in Paul's mind as you directed him when he wrote that we, these many centuries later, will see it and will rejoice over your wonderful saving work to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Very often the question why? Why? Is crucially important. Why do you want to marry her or him? Why in an automobile is that brake pedal there? Or the accelerator? For what purpose? Why did Jesus die? Why do I go to church? Or this crucial question. In history, through Moses to the children of Israel, after leading them out of the land of Egypt in slavery, why did God give the law? Oh, to know why is so crucial in this question. Let me give you a taste of why. This is what Paul says in Romans 9.32. The Jews didn't know why God gave the law. And thus they used it and committed suicide. He says it this way. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Oh, it's right there. He said it again. Why? 
because they did not pursue the law by a heart of faith. But as if, which it wasn't, but as if it were based on works. In the book of Galatians, Paul is fighting against legalism. Legalism, let me just boil it down. At the core of it, what is it? Legalism is the human heart using religion. Whether Judaism or Christianity or any other religion. It's using religion and morality in order to express its independence, its pride, its rebellion against God. Paul writes in Romans 10.3, and this was true of himself before he was made alive to God. And being ignorant, oh here it is, they didn't know why. And being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, my fellow Jews did not submit to God's righteousness. And so the book of Galatians begs us here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship to know why God gave the law. And how it fits into God's redemptive plan. And therefore, what is this law so you don't abuse it and misuse it? So, are you there? Galatians 3, starting with verse 19 in this section. Paul's question, simple. Why did God give the law through Moses? To Israel. He gives two answers right there in the text. They're both twofold. The first answer Paul gives is this God gave the law in order that sins would increase, which is connected to what he says in verse 22, so that he would lock up in prison everything under sin. That's the first answer. The second reason he did that was to hold them in prison until his son would be born of a woman under the law and to come and to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. So that, as he says in verse 22, to those who have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, will attain to eternal life in righteousness. That's the text. So let's just go re-say it very slowly and work our way through it. Starting with verse 19, Paul, he says, Why then, meaning because of what we just said, why then the law? Answer, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Now, Remember, that question, why the law, it comes from what we saw last week in the previous paragraph. Verses 15 to 18. As 17 to summarize it says this, The law, which came 430 years after, word, after God made a promise to Abraham to save the whole world and justify the whole world through him, then God gives the law 430 years after, He says, 
The law didn't come to annul or do away with the covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to make that promise void. Then why the law? Verse 19. That's, you get it? Why the law then? Okay, here's his answer. It was added because of transgressions. Now, here's a big question. What does that mean? The word that is translated in the ESV there, and I'm pretty sure New American does the same, the word that's translated because of, and then transgressions, it's, it's an obscure word. It's not used that much, but it is used. It's, a, it's not a normal preposition. It's used rarely. It's kareen. And in the Greek lexicon, Bauer and Gingrich, this word is used in the New Testament, and Paul uses it both ways elsewhere. It could mean this, in the sense of goal. This happened for the goal that something would happen. In other words, purposing something to happen. Or it could mean causal, like this happened. Well, because this was there, therefore this. Because of transgressions. It could mean they're there, and so God says, i got to give the law to reveal clearly sin. Does that make sense? Does He mean that? Or it could mean the reason God gave the law was for the sake of provoking and causing more sin. Now, I'm convinced He means the latter. The law was given in order that sin, the transgression, would increase. Why am I convinced? Context for one. And then I'll show you the second one in a minute. But the context, when he gets to verse 22, another purpose of the law was in order to imprison Israel. All things under sin. How did he do it? By giving the law to increase sin. Now let me just quote for a moment from two major Galatian commentators. First, F.F. Bruce writes that the promulgation of specific enactments creates a corresponding category of specific violations with opportunity and perhaps temptation to commit these violations. Okay, this is a fact of human experience. We all know that. you got children, you know this. Okay, he goes on. But, Paul's statement here, in verse 19, goes beyond this. The purpose of the law was to increase the sum total of transgressions. God's purpose. Or, Cranfield, concerning verse 19, writes... The law also increases sin in the sense that it makes 
men or women sin more. Especially because it tempts sinful men to try to use the law as a means to the establishment of a claim upon God which is the essence of legalism. I think they're dead on. This is what Paul is saying. And here's the other thing. We know, just outside of Galatians here, in Romans, and I want you to turn there right now. Go to Romans chapter 5. We know Paul teaches this very thing very clearly in Romans. Start with chapter 5. Look at verse 20. It's unambiguous here. Now, the law came in. God gave the law. Why did He give the law? Here's His answer. Now the law came in in order to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But the first part is clear. And it's a purpose clause. It's a henna clause. In order that this would happen, sin would increase. That's God's aim. Okay, now what does that mean? Paul gives a couple nuances to this dynamic of the law coming to his people Israel and what it's doing in increasing sin. First, if you just flip back to Romans 4, verse 15, he says it this way. For the law, it brings with it what? Wrath, condemnation, God's judgment. But where there is no law, there is no specific transgression. And so the law comes, and now it makes clear transgressor. So it does reveal sin. As Paul elsewhere says, I wouldn't have known sin about covetousness, my own covetousness, which was there, and I was a sinner, but I wouldn't have known it if the law had not come written and said, Thou shalt not covet. So there is that sense where what does the law do? Sin is there before the law of Moses. Paul makes this clear in Romans 5. We're sinners and we are condemned. And he says, sin comes, and what it does is it brings that sin out of the shadows and makes it clear in the light. Like, you go over to a house and they have a child, 12-year-old. You're there for an hour. Everything's so peaceful. Playing on his... What do you call those things? iPods? What are they? iPads! Yeah, yeah, my kids. And you think, oh, what a good child. And you leave. You don't know. You didn't see the law come. Right after you left, mom brought down the law. Oh, go take out the trash. And this rebellious kid exploded in anger. In dishonor. He didn't see it, but when the law came, it showed what was in the heart. That's one of the things the law does. But that's not it. It's not the only thing. The other thing is, Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came for the purpose that transgressions or trespasses would increase. In order to increase the trespass, the law was given to give rise to more sin. 
Now I want to spend about two minutes here, just right there in chapter 5 of Romans, just feel its context. Look at verse 15. Because Paul keeps using this word trespass in the singular form. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. They're singular. For if many died, that is the whole human race, through one man's, that's Adam, trespass, singular again. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, singular, death reigned through the one man, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Okay, got the context? Now he comes to verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass. So Paul's clear. One function of the law is to turn our original sin, that is, our inherited sin nature from our forefather, Adam, our representative, and we're all born as sinners, to turn that reality that we are sinners in Adam into billions upon billions of specific, clear transgressions of written law. Making them visible and expanding those sins. That the law may increase the transgression. And for Paul, he's not just saying, well, this is what happened. He's saying it was part of God's sovereign purpose. Now, here's the question. Why does the law do that? And it does it today too. As it did during the history of Israel from Moses to Christ. Why does the law come and increase Transgression. Just flip over a page there in Romans to chapter 7 for a moment. Because here's the simple answer. The law increases sin because the law meets with sinners. It meets with an independent, rebellious human heart. And thus, that sin increases. That's what he says in Romans 7.5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, listen to him, aroused, our sinful passions, desires, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. While we're in the flesh. When he says in the flesh, what he is meaning here as he writes to the Roman Christians is before you were born again, before you came alive to Jesus, you were only flesh. 
In other words, apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, He says, our hearts are blind, proud, self-centered, defensive, and it produces in religious people legalism. Works of the law. The term Paul has been using throughout Galatians. Just keep there in Romans 7. Go down to verse 10. He says, For me, you've got to think, Paul's a, a religious guy from birth. He's a Jew of Jews, okay? Here, he says, The very commandment in the law from God to me, the very commandment that promised life, do these and live, it proved to be death to me. Now why? He explains why. Next verse. For, or in other words, because sin in me, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, my sin deceived me, and through the law or commandment, my sin killed me. So Paul says, sin not the law, but sin is the problem. Sin used God's law as a weapon of self-deception in order for Him to commit spiritual suicide. If you know Paul's story, you watch him in the book of Acts. He's desperate to persecute the church. That's his religion. That's where the law led him. And that's what he's talking about. So Paul then, okay, having said that then, it deceived me and it killed me. Give us your conclusion, Paul. Well, here's my conclusion. Next, very, very next verse, verse 12. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Then, in the very next verse, he repeats, verse 13, Did that which is good, meaning the law, did that which is good then bring death to me? Was it the law's fault? What's his answer? By no means. No. But it was sin producing death in me through what is Good. God's law. Now there's another purpose clause. This is what's stunning about Paul. Paul notices that he didn't just say, here's the result. When he says a purpose here, he means God ultimately. He was doing something in redemptive history. But producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And in order that through God's holy, righteous, and good commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. It's fine. Why does it do this? Because we are born as sinners. And sin lies to us about God. 
It lies to us about God who commands His holy, good, righteous command to us in one of two ways. One way is this. You don't want to be subject to the Creator. You don't want to be subject to this idea that there's only one God and there's such a thing as right and wrong on what you do sexually with your body and your money and your life and your attitude. You, you don't want to come under that. You can't trust Him. This God is not really out for your happiness. You better take your own control of independence. And let us eat and drink. That'll feel good. And be drunks. Be merry. Because there really is no God who's going to judge you. That's what sin says. For tomorrow we die. Okay, there's one way sin reacts. And there's another way, which is the main core of what Galatians is about. And it's been rampant in the Christian church for 2,000 years. And that's this. Oh! Saul of Tarsus he says to himself, really, sin in him says to him, you can do this, Saul. You have willpower. You have a sharp intellect and mind. You can study under Gamaliel and you can show yourself better than your fellow countrymen. You can climb the ladder of legalism and put on the badges of your religion and rejoice over others. Same sin, just going in different directions on how it expresses itself. It's increasing and showing sin to be more horrific than you would have seen it if the law did not come. Now, I just want to give you just, I can give you a bond. I'm just going to give you two examples of this legalism working with the law that Paul gives in the New Testament. In other words, what happens with a person born, like we all are, of Adam and Eve into our sin and dead to God? What happens when religion hits us? God's, even the right book hits us. 1 Romans 9, 31-32. That Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because of sin. It deceived them. How did it deceive them? Because they did not pursue it with a heart of faith. But as if it were by works. Something they could say, look at me, I did it, I deserve something. And the law was never intended that way. I mean, one more now. Philippians 3, 4-6, Paul writes of his own life saying, Though I myself has, have reason for confidence, this is boasting, this is arrogance here, for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law. 
I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, you better believe I was zealous. Look at me. I was a persecutor of the church. Oh, as to righteousness under the law in my system, I was blameless. That is God showing so that sin might be shown to be sin beyond measure. It is one thing for the non-religious to say, phooey, don't bring me rights and wrongs and constraints. I'm going to follow the dictates of my natural desires. It is another thing when that comes into Judaism or into Christianity and it says, I will exalt that same sin but in my religiosity. It's the same dark rebellion exalting its independence over God being the one upon whom all are dependent. So, back to Galatians 3. Why the law then? Paul's answer is clear. It was added for the sake of causing more transgressions until Jesus comes. Okay. Now that statement there in verse 19 is what leads Paul to the next question and his answer in verses 21 and 22. Because what he just says there, it sounds derogatory towards the law. And Paul knows, and any teacher knows, sometimes people just don't listen carefully. And they draw conclusions that are not valid from anything you said. Paul knows some people may draw a horrifically wrong conclusion when he just said God gave the law in order that sins may increase. And that is, oh yeah, the promise was given to Abraham by faith. And then God gave the law. So Abraham and that promise and the law of Moses are an absolute contradiction to one another. And Paul says, absolutely not. So, in a nutshell, in verses 21 and 22, here's the flow of what he says. Although the law of Moses, when it came in redemptive history, although it had this strange purpose, this strange function of increasing sins in God's sovereign plan, nevertheless, the law in no way is contrary to the promises of God. That's what he says. Let's read it. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Answer, no. Or certainly not. And now he explains. Because look, if a law had been given that could give to the people Life, 
then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But that's not how God did it. It goes on to verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, the point Paul is saying is that the promise that was made, we saw that last week in verse 16, the promise to Abraham was made ultimately to Jesus, to His offspring, singular, to Christ. It was given to Him through you. Yeah, okay, Abraham, through you, He's going to come. And through you, my eternal Son, all the nations of the world will be blessed through your work. We saw that verse 16. And so in God's plan in history, the law did not come with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring new birth for the most part. To make the people of Israel alive to God. For the most part, He gave the law and withheld regeneration. Withheld new birth. And it accomplished His purpose in verse 22. It imprisoned them. It locked them up under sin. It threw away the key until Christ came. Do you see it yet? What are you saying? The law. The written law from God in and of itself could not make people alive to God. We're all born dead in our sin. Ephesians 2. Same thing with all of Israel or all Gentiles. We're all born because of Adam condemned and in sin and we are sinners. We're dead to God. We have zero true desire to find Him as the eternal all-satisfying treasure. And so, He gives the law without the power to make them alive. That's what he means by the Scripture, that is the written law, imprisoned every one of them under sin. Because apart from new life, apart from a new heart, we saw in the new covenant, right, in the last couple of weeks, apart from a new heart given through new birth, the law comes and it only condemns, locks you up throws away the key. Now I want you to turn, when we're done, to Romans 8 for a moment. Because Romans 8, verses 2 to 4, I find to be extremely helpful in unfolding what Paul means here when he says, for if a law had been given that could give life. What are you talking about, Paul? Are you there, Romans 8? Starting with verse 2, he says, to Christians who have been born again, 
who have been made alive in Christ. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Every one of us raised in the church or raised secular No, deep down there's a God. So whether we have the written law or the other one, there's a conscience and we're all doomed. And to be under the law of sin and death is what Paul is talking about when it says the law came to increase sin. When you're dead without new birth, religion can only condemn you all the more. And we're not under the law if you're a believer as a dead person anymore because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Now he explains what he means. Look at verse 3. For, in other words, God has done what the law of Moses weakened by, again, our flesh. Paul saying it's sin was the problem. Our flesh was the problem. The law weakened by the flesh it could not do. God did it. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus is the Redeemer. And then verse 4, in order that, here it is, in order that, Romans, you Christians, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says, God, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of life who has come in and infiltrated your heart and brought you alive, did what the law itself, by itself, could not do. Because of our sinful nature, our spiritually dead hearts. So in other words, just like what Paul says in Galatians 3.21, the law could not give life. Romans 8.3 says, the law could not do away with sin in people's lives and thus supply to us the Holy Spirit. It couldn't do that. Only Christ could do that. Only the offspring to whom the promise was made could get rid of sin and thus supply God's mercy because His wrath against me has been turned away and He can come unannounced and raise me spiritually from the dead in order to believe. That's the Spirit of life. So let me just sum up what Paul's doing here. The reason in history with Moses, the people of Israel then crossing over the Jordan and possessing the land and the history unfolds, 
until Christ, the reason the law multiplied sin instead of bringing life was that for the most part, Israel, the natural seed of Abraham, were dead spiritually to God. As Romans 8, 7 says, Therefore, the mind that is set on the flesh is by its nature hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law. So, David, he's the seed of Abraham. And you're born, and he circumcises you males on the eighth day. You're a Jew. Still born into sin. You're still by nature not alive to God. And religion comes and the law comes. Okay, you think, okay, gotta get this, especially you you teenagers being raised in the Christian church. The same is true within Christianity. The same is true throughout Roman Catholicism, Greek Orthodoxy, and all of Protestantism and conservative American Evangelicalism. Of course you're going to have affections. Christianity becomes your culture if you've got God-loving people and they raise you in church. But, and you are very blessed to have all of that. But don't presume upon God because you were born dead. The question you want to desperately plead for is, God, am I alive? Make me alive. And He will. He will through Christ. The law came to Israel. We got their history written out. That's why the history of Israel in the Bible is what it is. And if you know your Bible, you know it's not pretty. It came for the most part without the power of the Holy Spirit producing new birth. And thus, it just condemned and imprisoned them under sin. Because they were not made alive to obey the law from a heart of faith. And this served God's purpose of exposing sin clearly and showing it by its expansion in legalism to be exceedingly sinful. Now, I'm going to ask one question before I bring us to our application. When Paul says these things, is he being a good exegete of Scripture? Is Paul reading into Moses? Moses is the first five books of the Bible. That's the Torah, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Is Paul reading onto the Scripture something wasn't there, or is he being a stickler for what was always there in God's purpose? I claim the second. I'm just going to give you a taste. 
For instance, in the Law of Moses, in Deuteronomy 29.4, we read this. The Lord, Moses says, Israel, you got the law now. And the Lord, God, Yahweh, has not given you a mind to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. God knew! And Moses knew. Because Moses was a remnant. God did give him that. He gave it to Joshua. He gave it to Caleb. He gave it to numbers of others. But it's a small percentage called the remnant throughout who were born again in Israel. But he knew that the law would not give them life. And God's not producing life through the law during that period of time. For the most part. So, in Deuteronomy 31, in the law, it says, in verse 26 and 27, Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God so that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. So Paul says... The law came in. The law was given for the purpose of increasing sins and locking up all things. Pictured through first His special people, the Jews, but it implicates all the Gentiles in the whole world. All are under sin. The law had this historic purpose. It locked them up under sin, not because the law ever demanded from sinners or imperfect people to earn God's blessing or to merit God's blessing. It never implied that. But it's because the reason it locked them up under sin is because the law of God, the holy, glorious treasure requires of His creatures, that is His proud arrogant, self-centered people to humble themselves and to depend on God's transforming mercy and forgiveness. That's why when sin meets it, it gets imprisoned under its own sin. But, Starting from Genesis and throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God kept promising, even though that purpose of the law, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Satan, there's going to be one born of human beings, of a woman, and he's going to come. He's going to crush your head. And these people who are sinners, I'm going to redeem out of them. Many. And Moses says, There's one. There's a prophet coming like me, and you listen to him. And he promises David, There's one coming through you. One coming through you is going to sit on your throne unendingly forever and ever and ever. So, in the law itself, Moses 
tells us in Deuteronomy 36, God will in the future circumcise your heart, O Israel, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we saw in the last few weeks the new covenant promises in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31 where God promises, I will write my law not merely on stone or paper, but on their hearts. That's new birth. Or Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And thus, that work was always from the foundation of the world. Whether it happened before Christ, which it did in numbers of people, and since, was all purchased by Christ. It was fulfilled in Christ. That's why Paul says, in God's redemption history, the law had a purpose from Moses to Christ until the offspring should come, Jesus, to whom the promise had been made. And then Paul says in Romans 8, 4, you're alive by the Spirit in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be being fulfilled in you who are already justified by faith alone. That is, you who walk and live your life not by your fleshly sinful nature, but by the Spirit. So, Question. What is any of this? Paul saying, why the law? Here's why in order to increase sins and lock everyone up under sin until Christ came. What in the world does that have to do with any of our real lives here today? I'm going to give you Paul's answer and I want you to either read on or listen carefully from 1 Corinthians 10 starting with verse 1. Paul, why do you tell us this? Is it applicable for us in 2015? Here's his answer. For I do not want you, Corinthian Christians or Sovereign Grace Fellowship, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, he goes back to the law, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. Christians. 
so that we who go to church might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell dead in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things in the law of Moses happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. I wonder if you see the connection yet. God was sovereignly deliberate in unfolding the law of Moses and the history of Israel from Moses to Christ for the most part without making them alive to Himself in order to help us who have been made alive in Christ. To help us see ourselves in the failures of Israel. As an ongoing warning for every believer in Christ in order to spur us on in the faith. That's what Paul said. And one huge lesson, therefore, from what we see here, is that when the commands of God come, whether they come through Moses, and the Ten Commandments, and the 800 others, or whether it's the numerous commandments from Jesus' mouth in the four Gospels, or whether it's the commandments that, that are all over the New Testament epistles. Whenever God's commandments come and He is withholding from that person, or that person, or the other person, He's withholding regeneration, making them supernaturally alive to Himself, then... Rebellion will happen one way or the other. Either by just rejecting, and this happens with churchgoers all the time, in misunderstanding of the whole Bible, misunderstanding of Jesus and of the Gospel and what's happening, how it's working. Don't tell me I have to not do moral sin. Because I'm in Jesus and I'm saved and I'm okay. You don't understand the power of grace. So it rebels either that way or just. And this is let me just. This is why 
the statistics tell us that it's true right now of 24 to 28 year olds who used to be in church, growing up in church. And it's true of all these, these youths from 13 to 18 right now in youth groups throughout this land. Eight years from now, 65 to 70% of them won't even darken a church door. They're professing Christians right now. Why not? That was how they were raised. They're born that way. Regeneration had never happened. They think it is. They even call themselves a born again Christian because that's my evangelical religion. And they have never tasted and seen how good and sweet Jesus is and is salvation. And so that's why they have eventually shown the colors and bolted and are so worldly. Or that same unregenerated heart may stay religious and become a works of the law, legalistic do-gooder who doesn't know Christ or His grace or the Holy Spirit experientially. And there are sadly and have always been systems of Christian religion that promote such legalism. Some of you know very well. And so, finally, knowing that reality without the Spirit making alive, the Gospel is a condemnation to you, not just Moses, without the Holy Spirit making alive, knowing that I want to say to you who believe, have tasted and seen, you and I ought all the more, no matter what we're going through, wake up every morning and be grateful. I can't believe it. I know how sinful I am even since Christ, but I know that there is the Spirit in me that hates it. And you should just... That is miracle that is undeserved. Look at Israel! That's me! That's why God wrote it for you. So you'll see the depths of His love for you. For even while we were yet sinners, Christ came with your name in His heart. And if that's you, because He had your name in His heart, there is no way you would ever go to hell because He was saving you particularly. And that heart of thanksgiving in us, that treasuring of Jesus Christ is Paul's bell that he's ringing throughout the book of Galatians, summarized in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified, that old legalistic works of the law, climbing the ladder of how great I am in my religion. I have, with Christ's death, died to my legalism. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, by His Holy Spirit, who made me alive, lives in me. That's the new life. 
And thus, the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, in my mortality, I live by that Spirit. I live by trust, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says, I first and foremost in the gratefulness that You reached down and saved me. I see the Gospel. Jesus came born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem dead spiritual hell-bound me, Paul. He died for me. He rose victorious, having in perfect obedience of faith as a human being, lived His entire life. And He gave it to me. I don't look to law or list or do's or don'ts or to the sin that's still in me and say, i got to do better or any of that in order to be saved or to be justified before Him. But I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And from that, flows the law of the Spirit of life. So, believer, pursue Jesus. I, I want to pause for three hours. I can't do it that long. No. And look in the reflection of morality, of right and wrong, because it is a, a reflection in a mirror of how we're pursuing him as those who are already justified. Let's pray. Oh Father, I pray that you would work that exhortation into everyone of us daily. Not denying real life. Not denying our battles. Oh, but give us the spirit of a David. Make us men and women and girls and boys after Your own heart through Your Son. May we be vigilant in desperate to commune and enjoy and find our deep-seated yearning for satisfaction daily in You. And thus we will see that our love for one another, which by the way is a fulfilling of Your moral law, will manifest itself. And people will see it. And they will glorify your Father, Lord Jesus, who is in heaven. To the glory of your holy name in the church. Amen.